It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 65 of Sports Day Plus. At 645, where are we at in society? More evidence that the impending war between man and machine is all our fault. At 615, it is the first of a two-segment chat with actor and comedian Tim Meadows ahead of his headlining shows at Cap City Comedy Club this weekend. And in mere seconds, the upcoming NFL scouting combine will have some serious longhorn flair. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter, at Courtesy Wave, and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Well, now that the NFL season is officially over with, it's time to turn our attention to the offseason for football. Pro football for sure, but college football will have a say-so before it's all said and done, I'm sure. Much of that having to do with NIL and conference realignment and one team wanting to leave one conference for another because of a potential for payday. Looking at you, Florida State and other ACC schools and your possible future with the SEC or the Big Ten for that matter. On the NFL side of things, there are really three major events that make up the pro football offseason. The draft, which happens in April. Free agency, which gets going in March. And the NFL scouting combine, which takes place typically at the end of February into early March. And this year, because there are 29 days in February, it is a leap year after all, for those of you who didn't realize. The scouting combine for 2024 will be a late February, early March event. Starting the 29th of February and ending on March 3rd. Once again, being held at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. And... In the recent past, Longhorns have participated in the scouting combine, albeit at a limited clip as compared to other big-time college football programs. Not a surprise when you consider that Texas has been more down than up over the last 13 or so years until this past season. And as the on-field results change in a positive manner, so does the number of guys participating in the scouting combine. And the Texas Longhorns have 11 guys who will be at Indianapolis at the end of February and early March this year, which is tied for fourth most amongst college programs. At the top, you have Michigan, followed by Washington, then Florida State. Yeah, they were more than just that quarterback this year, although the quarterback going out did hurt their chances of making that college football playoff. And then Texas is tied, as I just mentioned, with another big-time program. And this is how you know things are in a good place or headed in the right direction right now. That could all change on a dime, unfortunately, in this day and age, it feels like. But Texas is tied with Georgia, with the fourth-most players at this year's scouting combine. And it is a mix of guys on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, too. I think another sign of the overall health of this program. There are some obvious names on here. 
even like a Jonathan Brooks, who Mel Kuyper does still have as the top-rated running back in this year's draft class. But how about another running back on the list? Keelan Robinson, going to be representing in Indianapolis. Wide receivers include A.D. Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, no surprise there. But then Jordan Whittington gets the invite too. And I think that is a well-earned invite for Jordan Whittington who will likely start out as a special teams guy, but I'm not going to be surprised to see him work his way into a wide receiver rotation at some point too. Tight end JT Sanders will be at the Combine. Christian Jones will be. Maybe a slight surprise to some, but he has been projected throughout the course of the season as a third to fourth to maybe fifth round pick by prognosticators. On the defensive side of the ball, you have four dudes. That's seven offensive players and four defensive players. The two interior defensive linemen, Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat. Jalen Ford, who's been an all-conference linebacker for the Longhorns over the last two seasons. And then cornerback and safety to be Ryan Watts, rounding out the 11 Longhorns who will be at Pro Day this year. Found myself asking when I first looked at the list of names earlier today, which guy has the most to gain or which guy will gain the most based on how he performs in Indianapolis? And while I can see the argument for a guy like Xavier Worthy, who depending on the mock draft is in or out of the first round, no later than a second round pick in any mock draft we've seen so far, mock drafts that actually go at least two rounds. So maybe he works his way into a surefire first-round draft pick. A.D. Mitchell, probably the more likely first-rounder right now. But I think you have to look at a guy like Jordan Whittington as someone who has the most to gain in the scouting combine. Actually, the proper answer is probably Byron Murphy, who right now is looked at as a potential first-round pick. I think people are going to see how freakish he is in Indianapolis, to go along with exceptional game tape, and that will solidify his stance as a first-round draft pick. But putting Byron Murphy aside for a second, I think Jordan Whittington is the primary candidate here. He is a guy who was not asked to be the team's number one wide receiver during his tenure at Texas. At times when they needed him to be, he was up to that challenge This is a guy that I really think you saw have a return to a sort of explosiveness that we thought we were getting when he was coming out of high school. Cuero, that state championship game where he was Mr. Do-It-All. Unfortunately, injuries derailed the first few years of his Texas career. These last few seasons as he stayed healthy, we've seen a return of that explosiveness and a guy who can make dudes miss in a small amount of space and go for bigger yardage and who does the little things really well too. I think after Jordan Whittington is done with the scouting combine, people will not only understand that he has a high football IQ, is a selfless contributor on the field, but he can be a dude, too, on the offensive end. And so we'll see him as someone who's maybe, maybe late rounds to undrafted rookie free agent to a guy who might end up getting selected as high as the fifth round. That would be great for Jordan Whittington. We're all obviously rooting for Jordan Whittington around here. Ryan Watts, I'm not totally sure right now. I think he understands, based on conversations I've had behind the scenes, that 
he is going to have to make that move to safety to stick in the NFL, and he seems willing to do so. But he was also given a chance to try and make that happen at Texas this next season, but he decided to forego that opportunity or transferring someplace else to just go ahead and depend on an NFL body type, NFL physicality, and maybe a slightly less than desirable physical traits for the cornerback position, but traits that may play well at the safety position too. So it'll be a little bit of learning on the fly. And as long as Ryan Watts is willing to do a little bit of learning on the job or maybe as a backup while also making a name for himself as a special teamer, then he could stick in this league for a long time too. Hate to think about things in terms of who has the most to lose here. I don't know. Jonathan Brooks, perhaps, just based on the health of his knee, although teams realize that he did suffer a season-ending knee injury, and so he's there's only going to be so much he's able to do. That will likely include the interview process. I'm not sure if he's going to go through any physical drills. I would assume not, that if he is doing that, it will be saved for the Longhorns Pro Day, but you never know, and he does have that invite, and that means a whole heck of a lot. Very curious to see what Jalen Ford is able to do in Indianapolis as well. All right, that is it for the sports talk for the time being, because coming up, I have another of my many long-form conversations. This with Tim Meadows. That's right, the Saturday Night Live alum and ladies' man. Yeah, he's not only an actor, but a stand-up comedian. Something he's only been doing for a little bit more than a decade, and you can actually see him hone that craft at Cap City Comedy Club this weekend. Shows Friday through Sunday. Go to capcitycomedy.com for tickets. Coming up, my conversation with Tim Meadows on the other side. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Tim Meadows is a longtime actor, writer, and stand-up comedian who is bringing that stand-up craft to Austin this weekend, performing at Cap City Comedy Club Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights. Still tickets remaining for all those shows right now. That will not be the case by this weekend. Go to CapCityComedy.com for info and tickets. It's nice enough to join me now to talk about that and a whole lot more. Tim, thank you so much for the time. How are you doing today? I'm uh, doing great. How are you? I'm great, thank you. And I need to start this conversation with an admission. Because you and okay. I both lived in Chicago around the same time, 10 plus years ago. And I was actually mm-hmm. between broadcasting things at a certain point, was working for the Whole Foods in Lincoln Park. And occasionally, because it's a good part of Chicago, there would be celebrities who uh, passed through. And uh, for the most part, everybody was pretty cool with stuff. But there was one person who would occasionally come to that Whole Foods who had an exceptional uh, an exceptional reputation was very nice to everybody that I had the pleasure of uh, helping make some cheese recommendations for you in the cheese department. So thank you for, uh, oh, wow. despite being this, uh, the celebrity being, uh, being generous to the little person. I hope you enjoyed the cheese. I did. I think I sort of remember asking, I needed, I was like, I need to get a bear a variety. Yep. And you were like, you should get something uh, hard something really soft and then something like, you know, fun, flavorful, you know, and uh, that stuck with me because whenever I buy cheese, I always think, okay, let's get some mixture texture wise and flavor wise. So thank you for that. Yeah, that's right. Variety is uh, a key to life, right? And in prepping for this conversation, Tim, 
I've heard a lot about your background as somebody who came up as a comedic actor, somebody who was an improv, but you're in town this weekend to perform stand-up, and I have not been able to find a whole lot on the genesis of uh, when you decided to get on stage and do stand-up comedy, because these things are obviously very different from one another, even though the end goal is to try and make people laugh. So when did you start adding stand-up into that entertainment career? Um, Boy, I started probably about 15 years now, something like that, maybe 12, 15 years ago. Um, And I started out, Originally, I started out by doing improv. I was doing this show with my friends. It was called Uncle's Brother. We did it at the Improv Olympic. And then I'd come out and I'd, I'd talk to the audience in the beginning. And then I started doing like five minutes of sort of jokes that I, you know, was from, you know, stories I knew or whatever. And then I started building up over the time that we were doing the shows. I, I could do like 10, 15 minutes at a time. And then I just thought, well, I could actually just go out and do stand up on my own i don't need to have you know backup of you know um the improv thing so i just did it i just started going out doing open mic started writing stuff started talking about you know what i was going through which was being divorced and being a single dad that was like the original stuff that i started talking about so were you doing open uh, mics in and around chicago then yeah yeah i'd go to zany's and i'd go to uh it's like a bar uh Dotties, I think it's called, or mm-hmm. something like that. Lotties or something. And then I, I would just look for open mics, like all over town. I, I did one night, up, up, like at 11 o'clock one night, way uptown in like Lakeview. I did, a, a, it was a pizza restaurant that did open mics, and there was only four comics there and no audience members. <laughs> and so the, all the comics just listened to each other do you know, the 20 minutes or whatever time we had to do. And uh, it was the most fun because we just sat up there and just told stories. And I got to, you know, just sort of relax. And, and it was fun. It was fun. It was like starting over. You know, it was like starting over again. Was the pizza place, was the stand-up for the pizza place in the basement and it was on Lincoln Avenue, out of curiosity? Because I, I did some open mics there, but I, I guess that pizza place has since closed in the last couple of years. It seems like it was further uptown. I kind of remember okay. it like it seemed like it was up like near Foster or something like that. Uh, or not Foster. Uh, was it Foster? What street is that up there? Like Wilson Boulevard or something like that, like in Clark Street, somewhere up that way. Gotcha. But um, but yeah, I did a I did a bunch of open mics, and so I've been doing it for a while now. And um, I just did some shows in uh, Washington State, a couple of theaters there. And it was fun. I don't know. I'm, I don't want to, I'm not going wood, but I just feel like I really got into the place that I'm, I have a lot of material and I can take stuff in and out. I can do an hour, hour or more. Um, it depends on the audience, like how much fun I'm having. Just, I don't know. I did a show one night and in between, I was drinking water and taking a break after doing like a half an hour. And then somebody shouted out, Tell us about Dream Scenario, which is this movie I did with Nick Cage. Oh, yeah. And I, and I was like, look, this is not a question and answer session. This is, I'm doing stand-up. But then other people started shouting questions while I was doing my show. And then I just stopped doing my stand-up. And I was like, okay, I'll, this is the only time I'm going to do this. I will take five questions from people in the audience, and I will answer them truthfully. 
and then we'll get back into my stand-up show. And it was fun. They every people ask me about like, you know, the movies or people that I work with. And I tell true stories and you know, things that I wouldn't repeat in the press, you know. And uh then I asked them kindly, can I go back to doing my material? <laughs> and they clapped and said, Yeah. But it was completely different from every show I've done, you know. Um, so I love doing that stuff. It, so I, I, I encourage people listening and watching or whatever to come and see the shows because they are always different. And it's the, I look like Michael Jordan used to say, the place he felt most comfortable was on the basketball court. That's how I'm feeling right now. Like the place I feel most comfortable uh, is, on, is on the basketball court. <laughs> Oh, that's really cool that you're feeling that comfortable on the stage doing stand-up. And, um, you know, stand-up comedians talk about this need to find their voice whenever they're just getting into that art form. Did, did the fact that you had that improv background and the ability to act in front of cameras and on stage, did that help you start at a, oh, maybe yeah. a higher baseline of knowing what your voice was? Well, I didn't. I, I really I feel like I just found my comedic voice like who i am as a stand-up like just recently i feel like well i'm you know i sort of know what i'm talking about but um having the improv background has been great because just like i was saying with the q a thing yeah you know i just improvised that and i never thought about you know i didn't know there was no prepared questions or whatever um and we just talked you know um and the other thing about like working in second city was like, you know, you would develop this material from improv, but then when you do a review, you would do the same material every night. But as you did it every night, you, you could find more comedy in it. And you could also learn how to make it fresh and new every night. And I've been able to take that training um, and move it to um, doing stand-up. You know? um, so yeah, yeah, it's been good. It's interesting to hear you admit that you just recently feel like you've found your comedic voice on stage as a stand-up. Was there something that helped with that breakthrough a bit or uh, just a moment of actually doing it? Um, I think, you know, I would say I just, I would say like in the last two years, probably okay. I feel like, oh, I know what I'm doing. Um, but I would say right now I'm peaking, so catch me this weekend. <laughs> but um I think there was like breakthroughs. There were there was moments where I would have shows in like Arkansas, you know, and um, I would get a standing ovation, and I was like, "Oh, okay, that happened once," and then it would happen again, and it would happen again, and and it happens a lot, you know. And um, I think the breakthrough just was sort of like just the confidence of knowing like. I know what I'm doing. I have confidence in the material I'm doing and I have the experience and the background. People are paying to come and see me. So it's not like, you know, they're coming to see somebody funnier or, you know, you know, bigger name. It's like I'm the person they're coming to see. So yeah, I just got more confident. And then also I started like watching other comedy, uh, comedy specials hmm. and comedians that people go, Oh, this is the, he's the best and he's the best, whatever. And I started thinking, like, as I watched them, I'm as good as them. I just don't have that, like, um, I don't have the Netflix special or I don't have the deal that those people have or the 
you know, you know, people have been doing it at a bigger stage for longer than me. But when I watch other specials, I go, I'm doing the stuff I'm doing is just as funny and I'm just as good as anybody that I've seen out there. And I'll put my name up against anybody. I don't care. Yeah, I think the example of how you disarmed those hecklers is a great example of you handling something with uh, grace and poise and doing it uniquely. And in a sense, you kind of gave the mob what they wanted, but it also allowed you to get back on track to continue with that performance art as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm like I said, I feel like I know my I know my act well enough now that like I don't get thrown off if something happens in the show. Like the show's over the weekend. I actually the second show I did some things out of order. And then but I wasn't thrown by it where I was like, Oh my god, I, I gotta go back and do that thing. I was just like, Oh yeah, I gotta go back and do that thing. So after I wrap this up, I'll go back and do this other bit. But I'm thinking that while I'm saying other material, you know, I'm like, I'm thinking about the thing I got to say, and I'm thinking about what I'm saying while I'm saying something else, you know? Mm. Um, and I don't know. I'm actually just finished doing yoga, which is where I'm sitting here in this outfit. But the yoga, I've been doing yoga and meditation, and it's been also very helpful because... I'm very relaxed when I get on stage. Um, I feel like I'm seeing the audience and I'm seeing everything that's happening from a different sort of viewpoint when I get into a zone, you know, like, um, yeah. Um, I highly uh, suggest people come see the shows. <laughs> Indeed, and those shows are Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at Cap City Comedy Club. Go to capcitycomedy.com for tickets to see Tim Meadows. Coming up, Tim and I continue our conversation on the other side. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Back with actor, stand-up comedian, and writer Tim Meadows. As an actor, you know him in everything from Saturday Night Live to The Ladies' Man. As a stand-up, he's actually going to be here in town this weekend at Cap City Comedy Club. Two shows Friday, two shows Saturday, a show on Sunday. You can go to CapCityComedy.com for info and tickets. These tickets will sell out by this weekend, so get to CapCityComedy.com sooner rather than later. And Tim, I listened to a conversation you had a few years ago with David Spade and Dana Carvey. Two years ago, it felt felt very different than now does in terms of getting up on stage and practicing stand-up comedy and maybe not having to worry about nearly as much about something like cancel culture because you uh, step on one of those uh, self-placed landmines, right? But does it feel now a couple years later, not just with how comfortable you are with what you're doing on stage, but things have eased up a little bit where you are allowed to work things out and not have to worry about just losing your entire career as a result? Yeah, I mean, I think it's eased up. Also, you know, like, I don't allow taping phones and stuff in my shows. And, not. and luckily, people haven't, you know, uh, put stuff from my act online. Um, because I do, I do and say things that are, you know, that are risk, you know, edgy or whatever. But yeah. um, I'm my concern is not, like, getting canceled more my concern is just saying things that I want to say and representing myself on issues and things that I feel honest about, you know, like 
Yeah, yeah. You have to see the show. I, I don't know. I don't want to ruin material and stuff, but like, yeah, I'm I'm very honest about some stuff. And the thing that I look forward to in my show is at the end of every show, I talk about something that happened to me personally, and and I use it as an example of how we change over the years, uh, and how we become distant from each other and how we vilify each other. And we, it's um, and uh, it's easy to do, you know, but I, it, I, it gets serious. Like my show is not, it's not just like a bunch of, you know, penis jokes and mother-in-law jokes. It's like, it's some, you know, serious stuff. There's some like some, um, observational material. There is conceptual material. Um, and if you know me as a performer, writer, um, for my career, you know, that I'm not like just the standard sort of like hip jam, hip pop comedian. I'm, I'm a grown man. I have two grown kids. You know, I take it seriously. Yeah, and you've uh, you've seen some stuff throughout your life as well. I forget what the podcast was, but I heard you talking about when you were six or seven years old, growing up in Detroit, uh, going through the Detroit li- uh, riots, which of course people read about in their history books. And you even remember uh, the the National Guard having to come in to calm <laughs> things down. Do you remember having a conversation with your parents at that time about what was actually going on? Because that is a, a pretty crazy thing for a kid to have to go through. Yeah, it, it was a trip. Um, and you know, I think like most parents in the in crisis, you know, you tried they handled it like it was not anything abnormal they were very like we live our days like we live our days you go to school we eat dinner we pray whatever but the sight of seeing tanks coming down the highway uh the john c lodge was i just remember playing with my friends like near there was a big field near that highway that we would play football and stuff like that and it was like you looked out and we saw troops marching up and tanks and stuff and it was like, you know, and the only thing I had to like reference it to was seeing stuff on the Vietnam War or a movie. So I was like, oh, this is, this is like Vietnam, you know? Um, but I wasn't, you know, smart enough to know like, this is like bad news, you know? But yeah, it's a trip growing up there during that period to see like, you know, saw the city on fire, basically, you know, trip. Slightly lighter note now, you were uh, really starting to grind uh, in comedy in Detroit before making the move to Chicago, and you do credit the Talking Heads film, Stop Making Sense, for really helping you to take that leap to go pursue that dream. What's your favorite Talking Heads song, and how often were you playing that album when you are working at a record store in Chicago before you finally uh, got to be a part of the uh, the traveling tour for Second City? Oh, man. Um, I watched the... Stop Making Sense movie, we used to put it on in the record store, just let it play all day. So I've seen it a million times. Uh, <laughs> and I love, I mean, I, I love talking it so much. I mean, I think, uh, you know, um, naive, naive place or home, this is where I want to be. Probably my favorite song to play and it just relaxes me and makes me worry less about life and time passing and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but then like my quirkier favorite songs are like, um, the song about buildings and like, um, 
he goes, um, I see the shapes I remember from maps. I see the shoreline. I see the white caps. <laughs> the baseball diamond. Nice weather down there. Uh, and then he goes, uh, oh, it just reminds me of this story, too, of uh, Buddy Rich. You ever hear that story where he's like, I don't know how much long time we got, uh, but he was talking about uh, being a showbiz, and they, um, he was on the road with his band, and they were in the rain, and the band broke down, and they got out of the van, and it was raining hard, and then um, him and some musicians were walking by this house in the suburbs, and they were just soaking wet. And he looked in a window and saw his family eating dinner together quietly. And one of the musicians looked in and went, sigh heavily, like, oh, boy. And then Buddy Rich looked in and he goes, yeah, I know. How do they live like that? <laughs> <laughs> great. I great, love that story. Great story. And David yeah. Byrne is obviously a great storyteller, too, considering how much time you spent in New York and how much of a New York City guy he was. Did you ever get a chance to tell him? Yeah. What- that film meant to you? No, I have not. And I was talking to somebody uh, recently who had met him and stuff. And I was, and I've said it in interviews, like I had, that movie, it did. It was the propeller. It like made me leave Detroit because I thought I had watched that movie a bunch of times. And I thought those guys at one point decided either we're going to be artists or we're going to be musicians in this band and we're going to do this thing. And they, there's one point they had to make a decision. And I felt like I was at that point in Detroit where it was like, either I'm going to stay in Detroit and become a journalist or whatever, or I'm going to keep pushing this improv thing and see how far I can go. And I gave myself five years to do it. And by the fifth year, I was on Saturday Night Live almost to the, almost to the month, almost to the day. It was that month in February. Um, but I never got to meet David Byrne. And I also feel like if I ever met him, it would be really awkward because how do you tell somebody quickly within a few seconds like you changed my life you you changed my life watching you do psycho killer and stop making sense made me want to become an actor and a comedian you know um i think it, i think, I think that's i think that's how you say it right there and he, he may leave it at that or he may probe a little bit more yeah well i met jerry harrison once at mm. Lollapalooza. And my girlfriend at the time was with me and I, she knew I was a big fan and I went up to him and I tried, he didn't know who I was. And I just started babbling like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he was just like, you know, he was like, yeah, okay. Nice to meet you, pal. Um, but yeah, it was just like to him, I was just like this guy just going, I love talking heads. I love talking heads. Um, so anyways. That's really cool. So uh, speaking yeah. of Saturday Night Live, you've, you've told countless stories on podcasts and whatnot, so I'm not going to have you repeat yourself here necessarily. I did. I am curious to get your thoughts, though, because a couple years ago, Shane Gillis was uh, unceremoniously fired from that show shortly after being hired based on something that had surfaced that he had said or done on a podcast. And in just a couple of weeks now, or less than two weeks, he's actually going to be hosting that show that's pretty crazy turnaround, but it also goes to show that SNL goes through its ebbs and flows with uh, not just the amount of talent on the show, but also what is uh, what is deemed as acceptable versus what is not. Uh, what did you think when you saw that Shane Gillis is going to be hosting that show? Well, I have to tell you, I'm, I don't know. I don't even know who Shane Gillis is. He was a comedian that was going to be hired to be in the cast. 
Yeah, he was going to be a part of the cast, I believe, and in the writer's room. And then mm-hmm. he got fired because some stuff surfaced that... And, so, uh, and yeah. so now he is a big enough star to host the show? Yeah, just like two or three years later, yeah. It's a pretty crazy turnaround. Wow, what the f*** am I doing wrong? <laughs> You've got to say some really inflammatory stuff on a podcast, Tim, so let's hear it. Let's hear it. <laughs> I've been away for 20 years. I've never been asked to host. I guess I'm never... I'm just not big enough. I, that's uh, ridiculous. You, you should at yeah. some point you're in Atlanta filming something right now. What are you filming? Uh, I'm doing a Netflix movie right now. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm and I know, you know, not trying to put down any Shane Gillis or anybody else, but it's like, I, it's not my life anymore. So I really don't know. But if he says something, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. It, it, you know, you give somebody a, you know, you can make a mistake and then apologize. And I think you should be able to like have a second chance. And, you know, I'm sure he's not going to be saying the N word on national TV. So, um, I don't know. Or if he does, that'll be the last time he hosts SNL. Well, I'm glad he uh, was able to like rebound from his earlier, you know, mistakes or whatever. Yeah, that speaks to this idea of forgiveness, which people have had a hard time with for a while now. I feel like the tide may be turning on that. We're actually going to put a pin in this conversation. Maybe we'll continue there on the other side for a few more minutes. He is actor and comedian Tim Meadows. You know him from Saturday Night Live, the ladies' man, and a whole lot more. As a stand-up, he's going to be here in Austin this coming weekend at Cap City Comedy Club performing. Two shows Friday, two shows Saturday show on Sunday. You can go to CapCityComedy.com for tickets and more info. These tickets will sell out. Coming up, one more segment with Tim Meadows on the other side. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Coming up, one final segment with actor and comedian Tim Meadows, who is going to be performing at Cap City Comedy Club this weekend, Friday through Sunday. Tickets at CapCityComedy.com. First, though, I wanted to let you know about a friend of mine. His name is Steve. He sometimes goes by Cooter. His company is Pest Wranglers. That's right, Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers. Their website is pestwranglers.com. And guess what? It is that time of year where it's time to start treating that lawn for mosquitoes. And Pest Wranglers is the company to get that job done for you here in Central Texas. Pest Wranglers offers eco-friendly treatments that do not target bees or butterflies and is non-toxic to birds and mammals. It's effective for up to a month. It kills mosquitoes that transmit uh, dengue, yellow fever, Zika, West Nile virus, and any other virus that are transmitted by mosquitoes. It works against insecticide-resistant mosquitoes, too. Kills those adults. It prohibits larvae from maturing. They are field-validated and have published results in lots of different scientific journals. This stuff is used all over the country. It's actually used for malaria control in Africa. That's how effective it is. And pest wranglers can make that happen for you in your yard. So when you're out there doing yard work or maybe your kids are playing outside, you're not having to worry about mosquito bites or anything else that comes with that too. They also offer the conventional mist treatment for fast knockdown. It's good for one-time treatment for outdoor parties and things like that. Effective for up to 21 days. No horrible odors from either treatment. It is wallet-friendly 
Also, that's important too, usually under 100 bucks a month. As always, no contracts because Pest Wranglers, they're confident in their service. That includes their customer service. They value you, the customer. Therefore, they will make sure to provide exceptional customer service to go along with knocking out those mosquitoes or any other pest issues you have. Go to pestwranglers.com for more info to also get that free estimate or sign yourself up for that service. Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers. Continue now with one final segment with actor and comedian Tim Meadows. He of SNL and Ladies Man fame. Going to be in Austin honing that stand-up craft at Cap City Comedy Club. Two shows Friday, two shows Saturday, a show on Sunday. You can go to CapCityComedy.com to get tickets. Do so now. These tickets will sell out this weekend. This is a great opportunity to see a titan of this industry and have him make you laugh. Nothing better than laughter in this day and age and Tim we were just talking about Shane Gillis getting to host Saturday Night Live coming up in a little bit less than two weeks which is a bit of a reversal from a couple years ago where he was canceled from some things that were said I believe it was on his podcast that SNL fired him before he was able to work a single episode for him to be hosting years later speaks to a concept that had been forgotten for a while now and maybe coming back now and that is forgiveness because we reached a re- weird point a few years ago where people were, were having their lives ruined from things that were maybe said like five, ten years ago on social media. Sometimes it's just like singing lyrics out loud. So the idea yeah. of forgiveness is important, that we shouldn't just look to just completely close the book on somebody because they make mistakes, because we all make mistakes. And anybody who wants to operate in this sanctimonious manner that they don't, well, they will eventually receive their comeuppance too in a lot of the cases. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And I'm sure the guy, you know, he, you know, it's like, you, you can't, he probably was never expecting, you know, it's something he would say years ago would like in, be, you know, affect his current career and stuff. I mean, we all make mistakes. We all say stupid, especially when you're young, you know, you know you're trying to be shocking. You're trying to be edgy or whatever. Uh, and you realize, like, it just doesn't, you know, being smarter is, is better. Uh, but I don't know the guy. I have to check him out. And obviously, he's doing well. What is he in? He's like a stand-up comedian or a movie? Yeah, he's got a couple stand-up specials. One's on YouTube. One is on, his most recent one is on Netflix. He's really funny. He is very talented. Yeah. But he also says some things that uh, step over the line. At times, which mm-hmm. I think can can be the point of comedy. Now, you can't just say ignorant, hateful stuff. Uh, you shouldn't be able to get away with that necessarily. But there is a way to talk about delicate issues and maybe offend some people with language if there is a larger point being made. And I think that overall, he does a, a pretty good job with those larger points in his stand-up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, good luck to him and to you. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Just a couple more questions here, Tim. Uh, okay, not sure. going to ask about the, uh, the the long list of IMDb stuff that you've been in, except for one thing. Uh, you okay. did clash with Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm. That final season of Curb is happening right now. Uh, what was your experience like on the set of Curb? Uh, I loved it. It was fun. Uh, it was one of the few things that I actually auditioned for, like, I loved the show enough that I said, yes, I will come in and audition, even though I knew Dave Mandel, who was the showrunner at the time. Um, and I knew Larry and I knew Jeff Garland. Uh, but I went in and read and improvised the scenes basically the way 
that it went in the show. They just told me, like, you know, the notes of, like, you know, Larry offended my my wife's dog, and you run into him in the bathroom, and he asks you to to apologize for him, and you tell him to do it himself. And that's exactly what I did. And then it, and I remember in the improv, I I said something to him, like, do you have a problem apologizing to people with handicaps? And then he started riffing on different handicapped people that he'd offended and why he had a problem going back to apologize, which wasn't in the script at all. And he started laughing as he started telling these stories. And then he said he would go stop, catch himself. Then he'd go ask me that question again. And then I would repeat it, uh, you know, and then he would keep, he would riff on it again. Um, I don't know what they kept of that in the show, but I, I know like during the rehearsal when we were filming it, it was, we both were breaking because it was very funny. And that's one reason, you know, I love doing improv. I love setting people up. Yeah. I love setting them up. And that's exactly what they wanted me to occur. I would imagine it feels pretty good to be the one that, uh, that is, is also really sticking it to the audience too and making them laugh. Even though you like to be the setup guy, yeah. No, it's fun being both, but yeah. we're doing an improv, and like, it's like watching a magic trick with two people. You know, like the magician is going to get the big boobs and eyes, but the dude that's the setup dude is doing the work. He's doing like the the, the heavy lifting, I call it sometimes, you know, yeah. uh, and that's not always rewarded, but there are some people that see it like me and I, I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of people like that. Accomplished people tend to think about questions and there tends to be one question that over overrides all others as you are going about your business. Is there any one question that you find yourself pondering more than the others right now, other than why did I decide to appear on this show? No, but that, I haven't pondered that yet. Um, I don't know. And I've been wondering about a lot of stuff. I've been wondering, like, what are we doing as a country? That's all. What are we doing? Why are we doing this to ourselves? Why are like, when we could make it so much better, it could be so much easier. Why are we making it difficult on ourselves? That's all. I ponder that every day. And finally, what do you love about stand-up, Tim? Um, I love that moment when I have the audience laughing so hard that they are trying to catch their breaths and they're telling me to stop talking so they can get oxygen. Uh, that's the moment. That's the, the, the thing I love about stand-up. Those moments I love. And uh, you have a chance to let Tim take your breath away this weekend at Cap City Comedy Club. He has multiple shows this weekend on Friday, February 16th through Sunday, the 18th. Two shows Friday, two shows Saturday, and a single show on Sunday. Go to CapCityComedy.com to snag the tickets that remain. Also, for more info, Tim, thank you so much for the time today, man. really enjoyed the conversation. Safe travels to and from Austin. All right. Thanks a lot. Good seeing you. All right, another show is in the books. Before I say goodbye for the evening, wanted to give you a couple of programming reminders. 
Tomorrow is a Wednesday. That means I will be speaking with my pal Justin Wells of Inside Texas, InsideTexas.com, and the Inside Texas YouTube channel, talking Longhorn sports and getting his thoughts on Super Bowl 58. Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs winning another world title. Also tomorrow, actor and comedian Brian Callen will join the show. I've had the opportunity to speak with Brian several times over the years. Typically a philosophical conversation, and he does not hold back those opinions. He's actually bringing his podcast, Fighter and the Kid, to Vulcan Gas Company on Thursday night at 10 p.m. for a live taping of Fighter and the Kid. Brian, along with Brendan Schaub, going to be entertaining the masses at Vulcan Gas Company. You can go to Vulcan ATX to snag tickets to that. We will learn what the live broadcast is all about and just get Brian's thoughts on some general things happening in the world around us. And on Thursday and Friday, it is a two-show conversation with legendary sports gambler Billy Walters on his story as told in the excellent book that came out last year titled Gambler. Stay tuned from that. A fascinating conversation. You can imagine a guy who has made a name for himself as a sports gambler, has lived a wild life. That's sure as heck the case with Billy Walters. Includes getting into a physical scuffle, with Guy Clark, that's right, Texas music legend Guy Clark back in the day, and Steve Wynn, scumbag Steve Wynn, who is uh, one of the biggest names in Vegas. Steve Wynn hates him for the rest of his life because Billy figured out a way to win at roulette. Lots more stories like that coming up in that conversation as well. That's Thursday and Friday. This is Tuesday. You folks have a great rest of the night. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 6. In the meantime... Welcome. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.